I uh, uh, thanks for having me. It's certainly it's a great, distinct pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, and this is actually your second time on the show, and I know the first time you were on, it was a great episode, a lot of feedback, a lot of great conversation. So I'm definitely excited for this one, especially given the topic. Well, we shall see. Awesome. So. First, can you just tell us a big, I know everyone pretty much knows who you are. You are Eric Carey, the Executive Director of the Bahamas National Trust, and you've been Executive Director for 10 years, correct? Um, I've been Executive Director for 15 years. I've been at the BNT for 20 years. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I spent 15 years of that as, as Executive Director. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I definitely got my numbers mixed up. I thought it was 15 total, but 20 years total serving us through the great organization of the Bahamas National Trust. That's amazing. And so saying that, you did five years not in the position. So can you give us this brief history of your climb in the Bahamas National Trust, starting from when you even got there? Like, where were you right before? Yeah. So um, well, my first attempt to get in was not successful. Uh, I, I applied for jobs probably 30 years ago. Um, I don't remember what it was, and I remember that interview. Um, and you know, the folks talked about, you know, why did I want to leave my good government job and come to the BNT? Uh, what did I, what did I hope to achieve while there? Where did I see myself going? Um, and I said, look, I want to come in and see if I could help this organization um, expand its reach, get more involved. You know, back then, and I don't know, I don't even remember how we found out about things like, you know, the Earth Summit in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro that led to Agenda 21. Some of you young people don't even know about that. Agenda 21 was the environmental agenda for the 21st century. And out of that, what, uh, you know, what was emerging was that protected areas were so important, national parks. And so, we were finding this out through magazines and faxes and letters and conferences that we attended. And the Bahamas just was not featuring prominently that our national parks were not playing an important part. So I felt that there was an opportunity to really, you know, I found out that we had a national park service, which was the BNT. And so I figured I could make a contribution. You know, during the interview process, we talked about the fact that there wasn't a lot of growth, there wasn't a lot of awareness. You know, one thing that was expressed to me was that, you know, Bahamians generally didn't care a lot about the environment, which, you know, and I had worked in agriculture. I'd been, I'd been through the Bahamas because of my job. And having worked in conservation in the Department of Agriculture, I met a lot of people who were concerned about hunting, flamingos, fishing, turtles way back then. So I had a different view and I felt that, you know, that is certainly not correct. I felt that Bahamians do have a strong interest in the environment. And I felt that getting there, I may be able to help the organization expand the reach and get to talk to a lot more Bahamians. So that didn't happen. A couple of years later, the position became available. I applied. Uh, God smiled on me, gave me the job. And um, you know, I remember entering the organization and not learn, not knowing a lot about how it functioned, not knowing about its finances. I remember my first couple of weeks, well, a couple of days talking to the bookkeeper, like, okay, so how are we looking with finances? Because I am responsible for paying people's salaries, something I had never had to do when I was in government. And I remember saying, yeah, we're okay. We got a couple hundred thousand available to us. I'm like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. And I said, okay, and then what else do we have in other accounts? And it's like, well, you know, um, that's our overdraft, you know, because some funding hadn't. So yeah, we were like in an overdraft situation because funding hadn't come in yet from some major land deal that the trust had made. 
Um, so it was kind of scary at the beginning, you know, facing the prospect of trying to figure out how to run an organization. You know, you get a job. Sometimes, and everyone's been, well, not everyone, people have been in this position, you get a job and you wonder, okay, what am I going to do with this? You know, do I really know, you know, what, I, what I'm supposed to do with this job? And you just get into it. And, you know, I just started uh, working with um, the government uh, to get more funding, uh, focus a bit more on fundraising, uh, got more partnerships going. And, you know, the organization started to grow. So, that's how I got in, and I set a course for for now, which is to have it at a point where I can leave, where it's in a better place, uh, where it experienced some growth, and hopefully it was meeting the needs that I saw back then, that it should be meeting with respect to meeting the country's obligations on, you know, protected areas and the role that they play, whether it's in biodiversity conservation, now in uh, climate change, carbon sequestration, you know, fidelity of sites for research, et cetera. All of these things, you know, you know, we we're now we're now able to to do because of the work that we've done and the success that we've had. Definitely. So what would you say during your time at the Bahamas National Trust is some of your proudest achievements? Like maybe like top three things that you got to accomplish under your leadership at the Bahamas National Trust. Number one is mentoring young people and providing opportunities to people like you, Elijah and Mark and Lindy and I, would, I should stop calling names now because there are so many um, and you know, providing opportunities for young people to get into the sector, whether that's with the BNT or whether that's with uh, organizations you know, like our partners, the Nature Conservancy, PIMS, Brief or the government, you know, I mean we have People who've come through my shop or, you know, my mentorship, I said that with great humility, uh, who are in any number of organizations in the country, including in the public sector. You know, people in, in you know, the Department of Forestry, the, 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 the Department of Environment Planning and Protection, um, you know. So, yeah, I think to me that's, I think that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Also proud of the fact that I was able to get real funding increase for the BNT. You know, when I got there, the government was $25,000. And I remember, you know, thinking this just can't be right. And I remember having a meeting with someone who was, because back then, yes, as you start to develop a public profile, people from both sides of the political divide because I don't do politics. I talk to anybody. So I remember having a discussion with one individual having coffee and saying, well, what should we put in our uh, manifesto and what should we focus on? So I gave him my best advice as I give him the other side. At that time, I saw a tide changing, turning a little bit. So I said, hey, you know, now I need something from you. In three months, you might be the deputy prime minister of the country. And what I need for you is to ensure that the Bahamas Natural Trust gets at least a million dollars a year in funding, you know. The sad thing about that, I regret, is I didn't say $5 million in funding, not $2 million. So they, that individual called me back after the election, two days after the election, and say, you got it, it's been approved, the Prime Minister has approved, and that was transformative because that gave us real funding to really then start building the organization. So the other thing I'm really proud about is, you know, increasing the staff, you know, uh, and that took us, that funding took us, you know, from a staff of about 10 individuals when I got here, you know, to 80 plus where we are now headed towards 100. And I believe the organization is going to grow after I leave because of things that are in the works, you know, to, to double that number. But I'm really proud of that. Um, I'm really proud of the Levy Preserve. Uh, that has certainly been a project I've spent a lot of time and effort on. Um, there was one else in Luther, which you and I was, were involved in, the Seahorse National Park, which Your is mic's going a bit muffled right now. I don't know if you... Okay, I don't know what's happening. Turn off the speaker, maybe. Can you hear me now? Keith, I you said the Seahorse National Park. Can you hear me now? Uh, feeling better, yeah. Um, so I don't know what's happening, but so 
Are you there? How are we sounding? It's sounding better now. So the Lili Preserve really special for me because I spent a lot of time there. It's in my hometown. Um, it provided opportunities to get uh, Eleuthera on the map as far as protected areas. And so um, I would say those three things, mentoring young people, increasing the funding to provide jobs for a lot of Bahamians, and then the Levy Preserve. Those are three things that I'm really proud of. You know, are there any number else, any, any others that I can pick from? But let's just stick with those three for now. Those are no, but those are some really great ones, and I definitely have always heard um, when I had my time there that you know the Bahamas National Trust had seen some like exponential growth in its staff and its projects. So, it has been very beneficial for me having had worked under you. And I always say that I was like, one day I'm going to come and take your job, not this uh -huh. time, but and in, in maybe in a, give me another decade. So. How has, from your perspective, because I think um, one of the most exciting things for me for this conversation is, is hearing you talk about the past, understanding like what the present is, but also where you see conservation going in the Bahamas. So in your time, you know, over these last 20 years, how has conservation and, and the sector changed during your time? Yeah, so I, you know, so initially it was the government and the BNT. Those were really the two entities, right? Mm -hmm. um, over time, of course, what has really changed, and I think some of it has to do with actually the work of the BNT and the success of the BNT is, you know, we now have so many more powerful uh, organizations, whether that's Brief, you know, the Nature Conservancy is here. Friends of the Environment was around a long time, but they've really grown and expanded and become a powerful uh, local NGO. The Perry Institute for Marine Science is involved in science and conservation and education. You know, YME, uh, you know, um, and um, what Nikita's done with that organization, you know, mentoring and providing young people, some of, some of whom have come through our shop, et cetera. Um, the expansion of the, the government's environmental agenda. Back then, there was no real environmental ed, um, legislation. You know, the thing that I, you know, we have to give Ferreira credit for is really the revolutionization of the environmental legislation. You know, the passing the Environmental Planning and Protection Act is phenomenal. Um, the creation of the Department of Environment Planning and Protection, absolutely phenomenal. You know, over my time as well, you know, the Department of Forestry was created. The, bar, the Department yeah. of Forestry did not exist. So so many more players and initially it was quite interesting you know because i think people as they started to grow their organizations there was sort of a weird vibe where we have to grow almost at the bnt's expense or like there was certainly i've heard the view expressed that the bnt didn't want to share the spotlight which was never ever 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 my philosophy my philosophy was always to encourage growth, um, you know, to see organizations uh, come on stream because they all have different mandates. They don't have the, you know, the BNT is a phenomenal organization, but we are also, you know, um, complex because we have a close relationship with the government. We are an official advisor to the government. We are statutory. We manage public spaces. Uh, on behalf of the Bahamian people, assigned by the government. So when you see other organizations coming on stream, like Water Keepers or Save the Bays or Bahamas Natural Resources Foundation, there are now so many organizations who can pick and choose so many other mandates that perhaps the BNT was not able to effectively um, um, choose um, to do. And then you have within the private sector, you know, incredible environmental um, advancement in the environmental field, you know, Stacey Moultrie and what she's doing as an environmental consultant and, and providing support for NGOs and strategic uh, uh, planning. Braun, the massive Braun, it's still off of my staff. conversation <laughs> with Carlos at some point. Um, you know, Disney, Disney just stole two of our <laughs> brightest, Bradley and, 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 and Prachancia. 
But that's how the sector has changed. And then you got people like Janine Bullard. Janine came through our shop. Janine is, have, is having great success as an environmental consultant. Uh, we have Tanya Ferguson, who, you know, I, tra- I started training Tanya at the Botanical Gardens where I started out. Ethan also provided a lot of training for Tanya. I mean, you know, the person sharing the screen with me, obviously, uh, <laughs> uh, very precocious and extremely forward individual who costed me when I was going to Dolphin Encounters and said to me, hey, my name is the Shanti Job. I'm going to work for the BNT. Just let me know when. And, <laughs> you know, it happens. You know, Lakeisha Anderson, Lakeisha Anderson, who was with the Department of Marine Resources. And, you know, she joined the organization. David Knowles, who was with agriculture. So the sector has really grown and expanded. And I think a lot of what is being Of course, there's a huge need. The Bahamas is facing so many challenges. I mean, climate change, obviously, yes, everyone knows that's there. But in general, environmental degradation throughout our country, um, you know, people like Taran Sims, like, you know, who who just popped up on the screen, who's doing phenomenal things in the Ministry of Tourism and, and Janelle Campbell, you know, all of these incredible people, Dr. Kenneth Roma, who's now on our board, who is excited. I told him he's a closet environmentalist and DPM needs to watch him because I think he really wants to see the environment and environmental tourism really blossom and grow. So there's so many things, exciting things happening. And I think what is what I'm again getting what I'm proud of is that I have been, along with people like Eleanor Phillips, a part of creating capacity uh, to meet these needs, whether it's, you know, placing people in the office of the prime minister who would have, you know, or whether it's placing people at depth or supporting what they're doing. So, yes, the, the sector has changed from being the government and the BNT to being the government really expanded, the BNT and 10, 15 other organizations, you know, that, I mean, some people only people don't even hear about, Andres Conservancy and Trust, San Salvador Living Jewels, you know, that you and I work with closely yeah. in San Salvador. We need to figure out a way to get back to them. I, aha, your new role, I will be speaking to you. But, but yes, there's so many organizations helping this country to meet this incredible mandate. You know, our environment is what we have. It's our stock and trade. It's the number one thing. It's the only thing that sustains us. Fisheries, tourism, diving, protection from hurricanes, whether it's coral reefs or or, 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 you know, coastal mangrove buffers, you name it. Our environment is everything. And I think what has changed in the past 20 years is that we have a diversified portfolio of mm-hmm. people involved in regulation, management, um, studies. You got it. And I think it bodes well for, you know, what's going to happen with our country going forward as far as what it, what it needs to ensure that we can, we're able to continue to protect this very valuable resource that we all depend on. Anyway, and as you were saying that just now, I had a thought um, still from your perspective, because I know, yes, we've seen growth with government agencies expanding, with nonprofits expanding. But as far as the public, right, the behaviors that are not in the conservation sector, do you find that there's been uh, more of a attraction for Bahamians to get involved? Or huge, has it been the same? Huge, like, yeah. huge, huge. And I forgot that. There's something else I'm proud of is that the environment is a household name, okay? I could have gone anywhere 15, 16 years ago, say I work for the BNT. Yeah, it would not have meant anything to anybody. Now we travel and our logo and others as well. But the BNT, certainly from the BNT's perspective, everywhere I go, people are excited about the environment. You know, I went, I went um, to the Ministry of Works uh, to meet with the Minister Alfred Sayers, Honorable Alfred Sayers recently. And from the parking lot to the security, to the elevator, I stopped at a floor, someone shouted on me, BNT, great job. You all need to help us with this project. I want to see this thing going. So yes, I think Bahamians have really got involved. In the in the uh, in caring about their environment and wanting to be involved, and the work of the BNT and other organizations has provided opportunities for people to be whether it's just reporting issues that are happening, 
uh, in their communities or finding ways to volunteer with organizations like the BNT or Brief or others. Um, you know, kids have seen their kids benefit from environmental education. But yes, you know, I can't pass through an airport uh, without people wanting to have a discussion about either something on their island or something that is important to them. So yes, general environmental awareness within the cabinet. You know, within the cabinet, I, I have discussions with people with, you know, honorable members of, of the cabinet, and you realize that there's a keen uh, um, sense of awareness, you know, even at the level of, of the cabinet. So I would say from community to, uh, to organizations, uh, to government, to the church, there's a strong awareness about the Bahamian environment. And again, that also bodes well for the work that we have to do, because you cannot do this work and you will not have success unless the people who you are working hard to benefit uh, are, um, are, are involved. There's one sector that is not yet effectively engaged, and that's going to be something that I want to spend a lot of time working on after I leave, and that's the fishery sector. Oh, uh, I mean, you you got to let us know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you and I have worked, you know, when we worked, on, I don't remember what that project was, Bahamas Protected or whatever, mm -hmm. where we, you know, for the protected areas that we got declared. But there's still, I think, amongst fishermen, a feeling of having been left out. Even though we tried our best, I don't think we've done a good enough job. And the fishermen are really important. Uh, they need to be uh, a full part of the discussion. And so we're actually working on a project right now, Chantal and Lakeisha and I, uh, on a project, some funding. And an important part of that is to provide support for institutional strengthening for the, bah the BFA, the Bahamas Fishers, Fisheries Association. I think it's a powerful organization of fishers formed by fishers to benefit fishers. And I think they will be a powerful, so if, if we can get them strengthened and um, um, have more institutional capacity, I think they will um, provide an important interface for conservation because too often, you know, we go to communities, you meet with fishermen, a lot of times they're out to sea or, you know, they're, they're somewhere else. So they're not out to mm -hmm. sea and they've gone to Nassau because that's the time that they have to do that or they're traveling mm -hmm. on vacation. So fishers are really important. And uh, one of the things that I'm certainly leaving in place is a strong uh, mandate to involve fishermen more in the um, in the conservation discussion uh, because they are absolutely critically important. Yeah, I do remember um, that being because uh, I started. Ooh, I, I was at the trust. I think I got there in 2016 or 2017, and I remember just even in my short time realizing that fishermen were left out and they voiced that. And the project definitely did a great effort to include to the point where. We would have meetings and still stay after because we knew, well, fishermen didn't come to the meetings, but they were trickling in after. We might see them down at the restaurant hanging out and we would stop and talk to them because I remember you would always emphasize, you know, meeting people where they're at. Like you have to you have to stop and talk to people. You have to be able to, to understand their perspective. And I, I remember that being a really uh, crucial part of, of working on that project. And so another interesting thing I would like to hear your perspective on is, where do you see it going? Like, do you think that right now it's just a trend um, and eventually, you know, environmental work or conservation will kind of fade away? Or do you see the Bahamas continuing to really put this in the forefront of our mandates? Oh, no, no, it, it won't fade away. I mean, you know, um, a lot of us that work in this field work locally, and that is absolutely important. But a lot of us also have very good international perspectives uh, because of some of the work that we've been required to do or some of the studies that we've undertaken. Um, and we know that from those those discussions, those international linkages, that countries are at different stages. Like the national, the U.S. National Park Service, you know, they celebrated 100 years. They had 100-year anniversary a couple of years ago. They're not slowing down. They are building on their capacity. They're making their parks more and more important. Uh, climate change is with us forever. It will forever change this planet and our countries and our people will have to learn to live with, adapt, 
uh, and um, just deal with the issues that, that it presents. So we're going to always be um, having to face issues relating to climate. The environment for the Bahamas, again, it's our, it is what we trade. It is what we sell to tourism. It is what we sell to our people, our fishermen. It is what we like to do. We like to go in the sea. You know, we love to eat conch. You know, um, we love to go in the creek, you know, and catch shad. So the environment is going to continue, you know, fisheries and our fishermen, Bahamians have been fishing, you know, forever, you know, whether it's the sponge of money can't done era or, you know, what's happening with lobsters now. Um, fishing is going to continue to be an important part of what we do. And so protecting fisheries for fishers and for people generally is going to be something that's always important. Um, uh, the climate change is going to have impacts on our islands. We are going to lose, you know, sea level rise is real. It's a real threat. And so certain ecosystems are going to be threatened. Fresh water is going to become more scarce. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, the intensities of storms, you know, everyone's, we know that, that we know that that's, that's what the people are predicting. So the environment isn't going to get any less topical and it's not going to be any less important. And so there are going to be many, many more jobs available. Um, yeah, you know, I, I told the, the minister of uh, the public service, the Honorable Fred Mitchell and Minister of State, Pierre, Honorable Pierre Roll, and I told Minister Alfred Sayers, and I told the Prime Minister, you know, the BNT could employ 300 people. You know, we could have 300 people in quality jobs throughout this archipelago. If you think of some of the places you know, places and spaces you know, Sweeting's Pond, when that gets created, and that's going to happen soon, Clay Sweeting, I know, the Honorable Clay Sweeting is driving that home for me mm -hmm. very soon. Sweeting's Pond can employ 25 people. Bonefish Pond, 25 people. The Andrus Park system, 50 people. Yeah. The Grand Bahama system, 30, 40 people. So when you start putting, and these are quality jobs, you know, the Exuma Keys Land and Sea Park, which runs off of five or six heavily stressed people, 10, 15 people needed to run that incredible national park. So when you start looking at things like that and bringing these parks on stream, incredible opportunities. So the opportunities, and that's not only for wardens, it's for environmental educators, scientists, communication specialists, fundraisers, park planners, you know, grant managers, uh, you know, future EDs. So um, it is not going to get any less um, um, important. The environment is going to be continue to be important for us. And I dare say it's going to be even critically more important uh, as, you know, we try to figure out how to deal with this monster. It's called climate change. Yeah, I can definitely say um, <clears throat> what I've noticed over the years, and especially through my show, is there are so many I hope that uh, the BAT can continue to be a place for them to, you know, get either get started or this is where they stay and this is where they grow um, to help benefit the Bahamas. And I know we have a really good question in the chat. I'm going to pop it up. What advice would you give to the next generation of Bahamians with regards to handling the challenges they will face in the next 50 years? So you have to elect good leaders that are held accountable to make great decisions, good decisions about our future. So um, we have to make sure that the environment is an important part of the national political debate when we're electing leaders and when leaders... We need, to, we need to have objectives for them that seek to protect the environment and we need to hold them accountable. So uh, people can focus on uh, making sure that our political leaders understand, commit to, and deliver on promises to protect the environment. Uh, people can get involved in, in, um, in studies, preparing yourselves. You know, when, I, when Eleanor and I uh, started this, you know, many years ago and we started talking to young people you know young people would come to their parents would come to us and they go oh, this boy wants to study marine science i want him to be a doctor and i used to, you know, I used to, I used to be wondering whether i should tell this woman the truth or lie to them and 
I used to say, miss, let the child do what he wants to do because he's going to be happier and fulfilled. But in all honesty, I didn't have that child who's going to have a damn job, right? That's the reality. So yeah. that was the reality back then. That's not the reality now. If a young person comes to me now, a parent comes to me, my son wants to study X, Y, Z. I can say with full confidence, absolutely 100% encourage them. There are opportunities not only in the nonprofit sector, within the government, you know, within um, uh, working with, with people like Stacy and, and Braun and, and Janine and Tanya, you know, um, environmental law, environmental engineering, you know, uh, so many things, um, um, et cetera. But, but also what people need to think about is sustainable development. So every, everything you plan for the next 50 years must be based on a sustainable development principle, right? You cannot no any longer build on the beach, uh, destroying the dune. You cannot continue to dredge and fill wetlands. You cannot continue to um, destroy forests um, and, you know, put in housing developments without leaving 60% of the forest intact, you know. So you need to have uh, resilient construction, right? Government has an incredible opportunity. You know, the current minister of housing seems to have a very um, aggressive housing agenda. There's an incredible opportunity for mm -hmm. for um, for the minister and her team to apply sustainable and resilient construction uh, principles to public housing, you know, but Bahamians should think about, you know, how can I make my home more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, you know, mm -hmm. solar panels, which used to be um, out of reach for people are no longer out of reach. If you're building a home, uh, even a modest home, um, you can still um, afford solar panels you know, with your financing and, you know, those solar panels, the cost of fuel, uh, the cost of, of electricity, BPL um, or, 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 or whoever, um, you know, you're going to pay for those solar panels in short order and then you will never have an electricity bill again. You know, build, you know, also the thing is I still see people building in areas outside of wetlands but close enough that I know that there's a storm surge, you're going to get some flooding. Build yeah. high foundations or build on stilts. You know, so, and, you know, Carlos Palacios has any number of incredible ideas about how to build in the, um, in the, in the you know, for the 21st century, especially uh, areas close to the coast. Um, and I think that this needs to be adopted. You know, I, I, it was interesting yesterday speaking with Minister Sears, and we were predict, we were talking about a road issue, but you know, so many times we, you know, when we shifted the conversation, he kept talking about sustainability, and he kept looking around to his team, telling them that you all have to build and design, thinking about climate change and thinking about sustainability. To me, to hear a leader you know, a member of the cabinet, and he wasn't saying that to impress me. I, I think Minister Sayers really believes that that's how we need to change the way the government sector, the, the Ministry of Works, which regulates all building in our country, which designs all of the public buildings, which oversees construction, which oversees roads and bridges. Um, they are now talking a lot about sustainable principles. So, we need to, as a people, I know that's a long answer to your question, I apologize. <laughs> Think about building uh, using sustainable principles. And yes, prepare yourselves for careers in climate financing. Um, still, science is still sexy. Um, you know, we need geeks like Ethan and, 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 um, and Jenny in botany. You know, not enough bot people are going into botany, but we still need to understand what ha what's happening to our trees and our forests. You know, marine biologists, you know, we need more of you, you know, to get in the water, which means hopefully we get the damn research permit straightened out. Uh, that's another story. But <laughs> yes, we need to get, we need scientists, we need people involved in fundraising, so development professionals, 
and we need people in leadership positions, whether that's to, to replace the executive director in another 15 or 20 years for, of BNT or the Nature Conservancy or Brief or Water Keepers or, you know, whatever. There are, there are opportunities that people, Bahamians, young Bahamians, can prepare themselves for. Tehran Sims, who, you know, is a, is a sustainable tourism freak. I know Tehran would love to see hundreds and hundreds of jobs created by Bahamians, you know, um, for Bahamians, sorry, by Bahamians, you know, for mm -hmm. on sustainable resorts. You know, you can imagine how many small resorts we could have on how many creeks or um, on how many islands. Yeah. Each one of these could employ 10, 15 people. It could change the whole tourism dynamic. It could build sustainable, resilient economies. You know, one of the things we're working on right now, one of the projects we're working on, a blue finance project the BNT is working on, is building, um, creating uh, nature-based um, economic opportunities, you know, in communities for so people in and around protected areas. And so... That is going to be something we're focusing on. Because you go into communities, and again, getting back to the fishermen, but when you go to communities, people say you're just taking something away from us. What are we going to get? How is it going to benefit us? I guess you can have the philosophical argument about in 20 years, you're, you know, you can have more fish, you can have more crabs, you can have more ever, whatever. But what can this do for me in the short run? And I think these protected areas can support um, enhanced uh, tourism. Small-scale, high-end job creation in the tourism sector. Right. I know we actually have a question from Joseph Darbo, who wonders, Eric, how can we get a real and effective environmental program in our schools? How do you think we can? Well, so I think, so I think, um, I think there are some powerful environmental programs in the schools. You know, I mean, certainly the Bahamas National Trust for 20 years plus, you know, 25 years, we've been doing Discovery Club, which, you know, at one point was in, you know, we probably had 70 clubs in 50 schools. Um, so we're still doing Discovery Club at several levels. We're changing it a bit. Um, I've certainly seen uh, Uncle Joe and, and, and Waterkeepers, uh, you know, doing stuff with, with students. So every organization needs to have needs to have an environmental education program and i agree with joe one of the things we're doing with discovery club is actually changing it so it's more field-based so you get kids out into the field you know i had a discussion with you know with portion the team a couple of years back you know as we started going into COVID, um about discovery club and getting people out i went to my alma mater top bay primary school and, you know, I was talking to one of the Strawberry Club leaders and they were like, you know, look, we got out there is a beach, you know, in the sand. Behind us is a wetland. Up the road is a coppice, you know, and there's a cut through the hill that shows geology. How can we get these kids outside more instead of doing exercises in the classroom? So we've adjusted our program to be more experiential, to be outside. And I would encourage all of the organizations that have environmental education programs to get people outside more. The thing we realized after the pandemic lockdowns and people started to come outside is that people wanted to get out into nature. And so education is no different. Um, environmental education is no different. We need to get kids outside. We need to get kids having real practical learning experiences um, you know, um, as part of the education. And, you know, Joseph Stress, we can use 35 environmental workers on Grand Bahama right now. So I definitely Absolutely. hope that they can get that. And here's another question, you know, what is some of the lowest hanging fruit that you feel your successor should focus on? I love the pivot here. We're definitely getting into the curious questions about who's next. Um, what they should they focus on? Like some of the um, easiest things that they can carry over the finish line even you know certainly um my success is going to focus on getting more people into parks right that's what the, that's what the trust does and we i think you know with leadership change at the bnt there are going to be new ideas there are going to be some things that the new leader does she or he 
uh, certainly different than I do. Uh, but we're still, our core mandate is managing the national parks on behalf of the Bahamian people. So that priority that we've been focusing on for the past four or five years, you know, when I took over the BNT, I had to build an organization, hire some people, find some funding, straighten out some stuff, get people to like the environment, to like the BNT. And then we were able to start doing things like the primeval forest, a couple of boardwalks. Uh, etc. The next leader has an opportunity to to be um, to get. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Bahamians into into spaces like Bonefish Pond. I mean, we're 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 having discussions with the government and others about you know ways that you bring Bonefish Pond into stream with visitor centers, with with um, you know with boardwalks with viewing platforms and towers and kayaking opportunities, you know, restore Harlem Wilson Pond, um, et cetera. Seahorse National Park is going to be uh, something that the new leader is going to focus on, obviously, because it's such an important space. Yeah. The new leader will focus on, you know, fundraising, sustaining the, the you know, this business, as you know, in the nonprofit sector, you have to depend on the goodwill of donors, whether they are foundations or individuals, or the government, and you know the, the BNT will forever have to continue to um, to raise money. Right now, we run at about six six million dollars a year. Um, I can see our budget doubling to, to to twelve million. You know, ten to twelve million. You know, not overnight, but certainly as you bring on stream those parks that we talked about, twenty people there, thirty people mm-hmm. there. Those part those parks when they come on stream will become revenue earners. You know, I mean, none of them will ever break even because you can never really fund the cost of providing environmental education and recreation for um, for people. Um, You know, for so so the thing, though, right, is I, I, you know, when I joined the BNT, the thing I wanted to do is to leave when the BNT was at a high. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and Fred Papal, if you don't, if you don't know Fred Papal, Fred Papal is a phenomenal Bahamian who heads a uh, multi-billion-dollar company, the Beck Group, in the U.S. He's a phenom. He's also president of the USGA. You know, I was talking to Fred about transition, and Fred said, "You know, Eric, when you transition, you want to do it um, like you know, like you're running a race, a relay." And he said. In the four by four, right? Four by four hundred. You run. The person is coming. They pass that baton, and they are they are tired. They drop down, nearly dead, and they hand that baton, and the next leader takes off. And that person who handed off, it's spent. Sometimes they got to give them oxygen. In the four by one, this is how you want to pass leadership. Fred said, "You want to pass in the four by one. The baton is passed when when both runners." are at their top speed. So you hand the baton, you run behind the leader for a period if necessary. You can help him if he st- he or she stumbles. You can, you know, you can run and shout and cheer, etc. That's how I've always wanted to pass leadership. And I think that's where we are as an organization, where we have a strong organization that has the support of the government, the support of donors. We're raising money at at at, in, at very healthy levels. Our staff is growing, um, et cetera, and, um, you know, our events are returning. So there's so many positive uh, positives that are happening right now at the BNT mm-hmm. that I believe I have the ability to pass at top speed to the new leader. I think so, too, and I think uh, hopefully people can hear me well. I know I've been having some Internet issues. It's raining outside. Um, but I think one of the, I, I told this to someone and I'm fumbling through my thoughts, but the thing I had said was, I really admire the fact that Eric has chosen to step down when when he's pretty much at his peak, because a lot of times we find in government, and this is a conversation that I've had with a few different guests on the show, in government agencies or even just corporations, like the leaders, they will stay in that role and they sometimes will run an organization to the ground simply because they're holding on to old views. Or like you said, you don't pass it on when you you know, you're now getting fatigued and tired and you're losing your passion. You you pass that on when you're so passionate and that way you can also, 
continue to run behind them top speed while they're also taking off. So I definitely feel like a lot of leaders can can take a picture out your book. You know, I think it's always important to understand that in organizations as they grow, they plateau and they grow and they plateau. You need to know how to take that to the next level. And sometimes that is passing the baton on. Excuse me, passing it on to me. But you know, maybe a couple of people after you will be passing it on to me. Um, but yeah, that definitely is something that I found pretty inspiring um, about the, when you made this decision public and you actually, you know, you said you were going to do it and you did it. Um, I, I definitely, you're right. I definitely did not want to be in a position where um, you out of ideas. Um, you, you don't want to go to work anymore. Um, you know, you're old and tired. Um, you know, whatever. You're a husband. I, I, that's, and then the organization really suffers. That's that is the real tragedy. You know, it's not the individual who suffers. It's not the board that suffers. It's the organization and the missed opportunity for phenomenal growth, for uh, incredible change, for new ideas, for new passion. That is really what is sacrificed. And I certainly didn't want that to be my experience. I didn't want to be run out. I didn't want to be carried out. I didn't want to be uh, forced out, certainly. I wanted to be able to leave on my terms, but I wanted to leave when the organization was at a really good point so that whoever leaves has a great start. You know, one of the things yeah. we're doing this year is, you know, our fundraising target. So Anna, Anna, who is our director of development, very uh, cleverly crafted the, the Eric Carey legacy campaign, right? You know, for whatever, you know, whatever. So, but that campaign is to raise money for this year. You know, a million dollars goes towards this year's budget, but we're raising $2 million and we're like, we're, not, we're already more than uh, halfway there, you know, like 1.4 or something like that. That million dollars extra is for the new leader. So not only do we give them a good mandate and we give them a running start, but here's a million dollars that you can start budgeting with. A lot of nonprofits budget based on what you think you're going to bring in in the coming year, and that's quite yeah. healthy. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity using, well, there are people who like me for whatever reason, you know, um, and they have supported this campaign, and it's been quite humbling. Uh, we've had significant gifts, and it's been inspiring. And so I'm glad that we came up with this concept. Because the new leader, he or she, will not have to struggle immediately. They won't find on January 1st or whenever they take over the reins in December, whatever, they will not be in an overdraft. Yeah. That's what I encountered. And I, I don't ever want to see anybody uh, get into a situation like that. So we have one more question before I start shifting into the what's next. But and I think this is a great question for you to answer, especially with the evolution of the park system and your time at the BNT. What is the main goal of the parks? So national parks and protected areas, the main goal, obviously, is to protect the resource, right? Um, protected areas are, are identified, realized, acknowledged as the real unit of conservation. If we do not protect areas for fisheries, for forests, for um, large mammals uh, in places like African countries, etc. then, you know, there's no way to really effectively manage. You can't manage a fishery by just telling people, you know, don't catch, you know, so much fish or don't do whatever. You have to have protected areas where you can put in place stringent managing regimes. They don't have to all be no-take, but you have the ability to manage through management prescription how that resource is managed. So the goal of a protected area is to manage the resource. Another important goal that has emerged is that you, certainly for the BNT, it's to provide opportunities for people to enjoy nature, right? To get out into the box. So it's to pr provide recreation. So the goal of our parks, protect the resource, provide recreation, and also to provide economic opportunities. And we talked about communities, you know, um, we, we, um, we have concessions that we have, whether it's people like True, 
you know, taking people kayaking in, in uh, Bonefish Pond National Park, Ultimate Tours, mm -hmm. throwing a plug for two. Uh, whether it's um, people taking, um, people fly fishing in national parks, etc., providing economic opportunities. So the goal of the park is multi-purpose, multifaceted, multifaceted, mm -hmm. number one, to protect the resource. And, you know, when you start doing things like concessions and allowing people into parks, the num you have to be aware of carrying capacity. You can't put too many people in a park that you start to threaten the very resource that it was created to protect. So it's about striking a balance. But yes, you need to, you, you want to get people into these spaces so they can experience conservation themselves. They experience conservation. They see the benefit of it. They will then want to support it either by becoming members of, of organizations like the BNT or by providing, you know, becoming donors to our organizations or they get into leadership, whether it's in, in, in the private sector or the public sector or in the government, and they are influenced towards positive decisions because of the experiences that they may have had, whether it's in our environmental education programs or through visiting national parks. It's, yeah, I love the point you made about, <laughs> yes, the parks are for people, but it's so important to understand that you have to be mindful of the amount of people going into the park because then you lose the purpose of, of setting this resource aside. And I know there's always this like um, debate, right? That, oh, national parks are so people can go in it. And I think the BNT has done an amazing job at, at making sure that people understand, explore your parks. Like these are being protected for you to explore and to appreciate and to connect with nature um, and just to enjoy, you know, what are natural resources? So great answer, which I expected from you. And so now to the question, you know, what is next for Eric Carey? Will we no longer see you in the news, giving your opinions on environmental issues? Are you going to fade into black? Like what's happening with you after you leave? So or as I've told everybody, you know, when I left, I left Tarpon Bay, Eleuthera either late August or very early September 1974 to come to the government high school um, having passed common entrance. And we took off on Pan Am. So that's how we roll. We used to fly Pan Am jets out of Eleuther, right? And Bahamas there came to Eleuther. That was like oh, let down because we were just spoiled, <laughs> right? And I remember that aircraft banked left over Half Sound and then flew close to Tarpon Bay. And I remember saying even as a young child and look i'm leaving but i'll be back you know and i didn't know what the future who knows what the future holds right but i always have always wanted to return to tarpon bay so you know tarpon bay as we say is a drinking town with a fishing problem right <laughs> so i intend to go back to tarpon bay and do a little bit of both um i also look so i'm not fading away i will certainly no longer speak for the bnt but god knows I will not be silent. Certainly, if there is something I need to speak out about, if the government is approaching a project from an asinine perspective, they will hear from me, right? If there's unsustainable development being proposed, I will certainly not be shy about expressing my view, right? But that's not going to be my main focus. I want to work with organizations like, I will continue to, to support the BNT, certainly as far as fundraising, government, government relations, et cetera. I want to support whoever succeeds me, right? So there'll be a small BNT engagement. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, so I'm not definitely not going hardcore <laughs> EIA company, you know, I will set up setting up a, an environmental services consulting uh, company. Um, and it's going to provide, you know, general environmental advisory facilitating, you know, policy legislation, you know, helping people move through a government regulatory process, perhaps I'll work with developers, giving them advice. Um, sustainable tourism advisory services, you know, eco, I want to really, I might, you know, might not do eco tour guiding myself, but I want to support the development of eco tourism, eco tour guide training opportunities so that people can be properly prepared to deliver quality experiences in and around national parks. Um, General staff training, you know, a lot of resorts on the family islands ask me all the time, what's this plan? What's this, whatever. So I want to work with resorts. You know, I'm, I'm also 
a director of the Bahamas Out Island Promotion Board. Uh, um, and a lot of this Out Island, promote, Out Island um, lodges or hotels, you know, their staff need to understand what's special about what's around them. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to be able to do things like that. Um, conceptual planning for outdoor spaces. I mean, I've always been fascinated by the work that people have done for the BNT. I could see myself getting involved in providing, you know, because I want to see these national parks become, you know, really cool places for people to enjoy and also to make money from. Um, Certainly working with NGOs, CBOs on strategic planning, fundraising, board development, institutional strengthening, project management. Look, I have enough experience. You know, you do some for 20 years, you learn a thing or two. Um, I want to do, yeah, I want to make some money, absolutely, but I want to help organizations and help people, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to use whatever experience, whatever linkages, whatever networks I have to bring that to bear on, you know, I still want to mentor young Bahamians. I mean, that's been the most exciting thing for me, right, is, is seeing these young people who have come from, you know, just whatever, with no knowledge, no no just a strong interest, but to see them now become leaders. Like, I'm so proud of my, yeah, I'm proud of all of you all elsewhere, but my staff, my colleagues at the BMT, phenomenal. I can't say enough about my colleagues. I mean, people say the BMT has had a lot of success. They say it. I don't, you know, whatever, right? But that is because we have dedicated staff, people in Exuma Park working every day, people at Lucaya National Park every day, Levy Preserve, you know, Bonefish Pond. I got staff out there right now working, you know, everywhere. Uh, environmental education, taking kids camping overnight, you name it, you know, going on expeditions, leaving your family. Our staff is phenomenal. And the people that support that in grant management and finance and HR, the BNT has a phenomenal team. And I have been privileged and I have considered it a distinct honor to be a part of working with such a talented team. So, you know, that's basically how I would look at it. I would say, in no way are you caring. <laughs> you will be losing this, uh, this official attachment to the Bahamas National Trust. But for people who would want to reach out to you, you know, I have your Eric Bahamas handle showing uh, for your Instagram, but for people who would maybe want to seek out mentorship or just reach out to you for some of these I am never going to be hard to find. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will still have, um, still have a presence out there. I would certainly make people once I, once I leave the BNT and transition, certainly I will let everybody know what my new handle is, my new, uh, brand, uh, <laughs> And um, yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to actually working in 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 the environment from another perspective. I'm really excited to be thinking about that. And yeah, I'm, I'm you know people can reach out to me as soon as I'm done. You know, I'm certainly not doing any work, obviously, uh, until I leave the BNT. Uh, there'll be no conflicts. But after that, you know, let's talk. Let's see how we can work some magic. Definitely. So in your time, uh, who is someone in the sector, whether they're local or international, that inspires you and why? So several people. Basil Mins. Basil Mins is probably 96, 97 years old in Exuma. Yes. Um, he's an amazing Bahamian. He's been passionate about the environment. He was an environmentalist when it wasn't cool. You know, he and his wife, Jane, were the architects of the Mariah Harbor Key National Park. So seeing that park coming to fruition with um, Catherine and Bradley down there uh, mm-hmm. making magic, I'm sure that makes Basel happy. But I'm, I'm always honored whenever I think about Basel and I go to see him. Um, he has incredible memory, incredible knowledge. So Basel means, you know, Pericles, Melis, and Earl DeVoe. Uh, Pericles has always been someone... I looked up to uh, incredible knowledge. I always felt I wanted to be like Pericles, where people would consult you for information and advice, and that certainly has happened. 
Earl DeVoe, who was a director of agriculture and then a minister of agriculture, uh, always provided me with incredible opportunities, support. Uh, when I was member, when I was exact, when he was minister of works and environment, we got a lot of support at the BMT. So certainly uh, those two. Eleanor Phillips, uh, Eleanor and I joined the NGO sector at the same time, March 2003. <laughs> and um, we've had parallel careers. She's certainly someone I, ad I admire tremendously. She's an amazing uh, regional treasure. Uh, and, um, uh, and from an environmental perspective, nationally as well. Uh, Maurice Isaacs, the late Maurice Isaacs. Maurice and the late Jill Wish got me into conservation. And Maurice passed away recently, but he was passionate. He was a giant in CITES, and, and I remember him fighting the entire world as a little short in stature, powerful from a tiny country, but standing up to countries like Japan and others who were thinking about unsustainable practices, whether for whaling or ivory or whatever, protecting sea turtles. So more Dr. Maurice Isaacs. And of course, my young Bahamian colleagues. You are here on the screen. Uh, so many, I won't try and name them all. Uh, certainly those within the BNT and those who have gone elsewhere. Um, I, I, Y'all are my true heroes. And I could not have done anything. Of course, um, <clears throat> my wife and my family. Um, of course. Yeah, we you, you couldn't do, I couldn't do what I did without uh, my wife. Um, certainly she understands all the calls, all the emails every day, all day, all night. Because, you know, sometimes that's what it's required. My son's Graham and Chris putting up with that. <clears throat> so it's been, you know, I've had heroes all around me. And... Um, I really appreciate everyone who's who's helped me, you know, because this is not something one can do. I don't care how powerful anyone is as a leader or as a strategist. If you don't have people who believe in you and support you, and if you're not going to accept criticism and 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 um, and and be prepared to pivot, uh, if someone is giving you advice that tells you that you should go in another direction, if you're not man on woman enough to do that, then you're not going to be a good leader. So, you know, I've led from the front, but I've been supported from behind and below by a powerful, powerful team. Shelby White, I could never do anything. I could not have done, a, you know, a, a much of what I've done in the past, um, you know, 12, 13 years. Uh, she, she's our major benefactor for the Levy Preserve. Uh, she supports the BNT uh, generally, I know she's going to support uh, uh, Sweetings Pawn. Uh, so Shelby, big shout out. A um, lot of people. I have I have many heroes. Yeah. You know. oh, wow. But that's important to realize because that means you've obviously interacted with a lot of people. And I, I'm sure as much people as have inspired you, you've also inspired. So, uh, which brings me to the last. My climate change hero is Philip <laughs> Edward Brave Davis, uh, uh, the Honorable Prime Minister. Um, I really like how the Prime Minister has taken on this climate change uh, agenda from a small country and has really gone powerfully abroad. And I, you know, he also gave us our San Salvador parks, got those leases to us in record time, uh, you know, shortly after we met with him. Um, so I'm, you know, Prime Minister is one of my heroes uh, as far as um, his environmental agenda, I think he's going to have a powerful environmental legacy if he keeps up. So PM as well. Definitely. I, I have been inspired by the, the government's recent focus on the environmental issues like climate change. Um, but for, for some final thoughts as we close out this amazing episode, I knew it was going to be a great one. So many great questions yeah. and comments. What would you say... Uh, lessons learned from your career to inspire someone who might be potentially wanting to be the executive director one day or maybe running their own NGO or just to become a leader, you know, in this conservation sector? Well, one, you have to care about the environment. You have to care about your country through your care for the environment, right? So that's it's it's this thing is really you're driven by passion. You don't do this because you I mean, certainly <laughs> you want to make money, you want to get in a salary. 
but that's not what drives you in this sector. You're driven by a love and a passion for God and country. You're serving your God through your work for your country and your work with your NGO. And that could be a tiny little NGO in Cat Island or San Salvador, or it can be a nationally focused NGO like the BNT or Brief, um, or et cetera. Um, <clears throat> find that passion. You know, you got to figure out your, your career, the training, and certainly your career in the sciences is important, uh, but not absolute. Uh, certainly um, someone who has a passion, you know, there's, there's an incredible opportunity for people who involve, who believe in social uh, social enterprises, you know, people who want to create economic opportunities around nature, right? So um, you need to have broad shoulders and thick skin. You know, I've been called everything but a child of God. My wife <laughs> is still looking for the millions of dollars that people have said I've been paid in bribes. Um, you have to have a very clean and enviable and respectable record. You cannot do this if you are compromised, right? And I, I can tell you, I have given up many opportunities because I believed the prize was here. Um, leaving the BNT, having had a successful career, having impacted people, having done good for so many people. And that's what you, you don't do this for yourself. You know, sure, People see you in the press. Oh, you're on the news all the time. You like to be on TV. Look, I don't like to be on TV. The press find that I have something interesting to say. I'm guided by my team and what they tell me and my experience. But yes, you have to be prepared to speak out against um, for what you believe in. You have to be prepared to accept the criticism. Some people are going to tell you, you know, you don't, you know, some of the things we don't fight. People say you should fight every possible development that comes on stream yeah. you know developments provide job opportunities for people so we have to give developers the opportunity to go through the process um before we cut them off at the knees um so you have to be patient passionate you have to have empathy and um you have to love working with people that's enough but, but that was beautiful. And I know uh, my friend shot me a, a private comment saying, I feel like that question was more for you than the audience. But people can benefit from that, you know, even if I will also benefit significantly from that. So I do appreciate you sharing those thoughts. I'm sure uh, everyone, just like I am, is very excited to hear unfiltered, you know, once, <laughs> once you are unaffiliated, some of the things that you'll say um, when you do stand on issues uh, happening on our world, unbridled. <laughs> Definitely. So thank you so much, Eric. I always appreciate having you on the show. I hope that this does not mean this will be your last show. I definitely would love to, to have you as a regular, maybe on a future season. Um, but thank you for doing this one. I'll be back. Thank you. Thank you very thank much you. for having me. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you to all our viewers for writing another wave with us. This was the finale. So I hope to see you guys after our season break. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. <laughs>